0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. I'm John Budhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Christine Rosen is out today with me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. An associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. So it's just we three, we marry band of brothers... Uh, Others will deem themselves a curse that they were not on uh, today's uh, podcast uh, as they lie in their beds. And uh, so here we are uh, to talk yet again uh, about the Chinese balloon. The story continues to get baffling, gets more baffling by the hour. And I think basically what we have here is a, we now have The defenders of the Biden administration, not that it really needs defenders, but are the people who are trying to spin this so that it doesn't look bad for the Biden administration, now effectively arguing that this was no big deal, but that because it blew up or because it became public, uh, that's why Antony Blinken had to postpone his trip to China, that even the administration knows it's not a big deal, but he had to do something, so he did it what kind of defense i mean as, as i see it this is what people who want to say that the biden administration it was fine the biden administration wasn't going to make it public it was fine that they were just tracking it over the continental united states in an effort to let it be, so they could shoot it down over uh, over the atlantic ocean and that was all fine and that you know if only for you rotten kids in billings montana who saw the balloon uh, over you know, then everything would have been fine, but instead, you rotten kids saw the balloon and you took a picture of it. And then the secretary of state had to create, you know, there had to be a major diplomatic incident over it.
1: What kind of fourth day spin is this? Can somebody I'm, I mean- no I'm b- positively baffled by that reaction? Um, and you would think that given the alacrity with which the administration moved to cancel this trip after this thing became public. That, that was a chip on the table prior to this event. You mean that they
0: all well, talked expect- about it for the three days before it became public? Like, we're going to have, we may have to do so. We
1: may have to cancel this. Like, well, they knew the trajectory right. of the thing. They discovered it over the Aleutians on January 28th. They let it loiter. It was described as loitering over Canada. So, yeah, they were probably co- working up a whole lot of contingencies. But also, none of them ha- happened, though. They didn't do anything until somebody looked up in Montana
2: but how are they simultaneously saying it was no big deal while they're saying it may have had explosives on it right well, uh, i mean i it's, think it's, there, it's there are covers.
0: 10 different people saying 10 different things to 10 different reporters so you can't assume that this is a coherent comprehensive
1: press strategy or public relations strategy so i've I mean, also seen them you know, say you know dangerous materials like solar panels and lithium-ion batteries I mean, it's just well, that, that's that, practice, that's, you know.
0: But that's the argument for not shooting it down, right? What well, they, they said we can't shoot it down because it might hurt people. And what they meant by hurting people is that there was a lot of heavy machinery on it. And the heavy machinery falls from, you know, what is it, uh, 12 miles up or something? What is 60,000 feet? I can't even do the math. It's like 12 miles up. So, uh, you know that stuff would then land, you know, hurdle down to Earth and be be dangerous. But if you do it over the ocean, do it over a body of water, obviously it's gonna be okay. This is why this is why the NASA craft were always directed to land in the water because obviously you don't want to can't land on on Earth because it would it would explode since uh it would break up since it uh since they didn't have landing gear but um then we have these stories about the the size of this thing and i mean it's amazing that no one ever saw it before with the naked eye it's 200 feet high well no person. well
1: it's not though because and this is what's okay. really it's not 200 concerning. feet high i no, read It is, it it is. it's not amazing 2, pounds. it's not well it's there are more questions than answers because these things usually a high altitude balloon should fly around like 19 miles, uh, like 100,000 feet up really high in the upper atmosphere, which wouldn't be observable by the by the naked eye, which is probably why these things went unobserved previously. And before we, you know, I don't want to digress into the whole, well, this has happened a whole bunch of times before yeah. the Pentagon yeah. is now saying, but we we'll, we'll get there eventually. Um, but what's weird about this one is now you have two balloons simultaneously deployed, one traveling over North America, one traveling over Latin America, that both descended to altitudes that were observable by the naked eye. 55,000 feet in Colombia, 60,000 feet over Montana. Two accidents, two malfunctions, that it had the exact same effect on public opinion?
2: I don't believe it. But would that then necessarily means that the part of of chinese calculation here was that these would be potentially very observable to the naked eye
1: right and then if you think okay well they wanted us to see it and they wanted us to react to it then what kind of reaction do they want and what kind of reaction were they hoping for and what kind of reaction did they expect and then what did they expect to do as a result of the reaction
0: Struck by the fact that we are struggling to understand what's going on here, what this, what the Chinese provocation was, whether there was a mistake, and what our our own our own national behavior has been. Um, and I think this is we this puts us in mind of the thing that I've been saying for the last three days, which is there are things that is not it is not helpful to the national security of the united states or the good public working order of the united states to become you know public scandals or issues and something like this where half of the story must of necessity remain hidden from us because we don't know what our we don't know what our intelligence capabilities are we don't know what their intelligence capabilities are we don't know uh, what kind of craft we possess that we don't know about. I, I, by the way, should take a minute here to say that I was wrong yesterday in saying that, um, that the Blackbird uh, high-altitude aircraft uh, was, a, was, a, was a state secret until 1991. Apparently, it was not a state secret. Lyndon Johnson made it public during the 1964 campaign or something like that in order to get a leg up on Barry Goldwater. Um, there were other craft, including stealth craft, that were 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 not known and were not and whose existence was not known. But um, uh, even even here, I bring this up only to say that um, uh, everybody is flying blind about what this means, except the people who actually know what the intelligence was, and that means that Republicans who are condemning the Biden administration and Democrats who are defending the Biden administration. And all of that everybody is just talking out of their patootie, and uh, we have to talk about it because it's a it's a it's a very big issue. And I think the question then is what it what does it mean? I think it is fair to say geopolitically that this makes it clear that our relations with China and our our posture toward China and all of that is a matter of surpassing ambiguity that we don't have an understandable policy toward China. We don't have a national consensus on what the policy toward China should be, but it's moving in a very negative and hostile direction. That much I think is is very clear. I mean, we, we are long past the days when there was kind of this techno- um, progressive optimism about how all the economic changes in china were going to foment political changes and bring us bring china inevitably closer to the west china is obviously trying to chart a, a wildly um different path and in the end the united states cannot re, cannot but react to a violation of our national sovereignty and and incursions over our borders maybe only when they go public in a weird way. If you think about it, like we turn a blind eye if they fly some craft over because we know we're flying a craft over them at some point. But part of the defense of your national sovereignty is making it clear to your own citizens that you will defend your national
1: sovereignty and that they're living in a country that has national sovereignty and clear borders and all of that. Well, there's a lot of scoffing at Republicans who are, you know, trying to make this into a Sputnik moment. You know what? We have some sort of a balloon gap that we need to to fill. Are we are we behind the eight ball on balloon technology? And you know, there's, there's a lot to make fun of there. But it's also kind of silly because, yes, we need a Sputnik moment desperately in this country with regards to China. The uh, the threat posed by Russia has been made uh, quite clear by its own actions and galvanized the country. Um insofar as that's a stable political consensus to the need to finally and at long last degrade Russian military capability and contain the threat posed by an expansionist uh regime in Moscow this one kind of has some clarity associated with it um as if it's not and I do see it fading rapidly from the national discourse but if it doesn't there's a clarifying aspect to it you know a real. uh, you know, wake up and smell the coffee moment from having these two major assets fly over the breadth of America's continental defense parameters. perimeters. and maybe that does help wake everybody up. We do have some uh, members of the military speaking out of at a line, out of turn, saying about uh, talking about the likelihood of direct military conflict between China and the United States in this decade. But there's also you know plenty to say for that. CIA Director William Burns has warned that China's military will be ready for an uh, an attack on Taiwan and a complex amphibious assault operation on Taiwan by 2027. And as many have noted, including myself, we've depleted a lot of our ordnance stockpiles and weapons platforms, and they need to be rebuilt and rebuilt tomorrow. And they need to be. We need to shore up our allies with the appropriate. Uh, level of defensive capabilities and we can't do that right now so you know <laughs> pivoting to the president's speech tonight there's an opportunity to to say yeah defense buildup time we're gonna we're gonna engage in a and we're going to be the arsenal of democracy i pretend we are and that's going to mean money it's going to mean the commitment of our defense industry and it's going to mean the commitment from congress this but it's not very, just.
2: Oh, hey, sorry, I just want to say it's it, it's not uh, just a matter of uh, technology and armaments here. We have a balloon spy program, uh, and my understanding that we probably have them over China, um, and we've had it for for years. the 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 difference in the tit for tat here so far, I mean, may, there may be a technological um, sort of uh, uh, one upsmanship. Uh, I don't I don't know what they recover, but. The difference is the brazenness of of this um, uh, incursion. Uh, It was how low and how bold this balloon was. Um, it's, It's so it's not just a technology gap. It's 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 the intention seemed to be changing on the other side.
1: And that's not like preventative maintenance surveillance, just having a suite of uh, right. satellites over orbit watching the silos so that, so that no assets are moving, the sort of stuff where you want you want everybody to watch you closely so that they're reassured of your actions. If this was surveillance of the kind that people are talking about it, the, cap- the capacities it has to get really higher re- resolution images, take atmospheric samples, whatever, um, then it's a different kind of surveillance. That's not just, oh, well, they're they're behaving in predictable fashion and we can take a breath.
0: Uh, I mean, you mentioned the State of the Union address tonight, and you make a very strong point about Biden's opportunity here uh, on on Dan Senor's Call Me Back podcast. Maggie Haberman uh, appears this week and talks about how one reason Biden, aside from the obvious wanting to just remain president forever... Uh, would run again in 2024 is that he's very committed to seeing through the effort in Ukraine. Um she mentions this specifically and I assume she is a White House correspondent knows what she's talking about. Um and that, you know, he is very committed to this. He is you know believes that this is uh you know this is the struggle of our moment internationally and, and projection of american power stopping putin where he stands all of that uh and if that's true and it, i assume it's true then it's incumbent on biden to connect china and russia and our efforts to help in ukraine and our depleting stocks And the potential threat from China that means that we need to replenish our stocks. It is his responsibility as president to make that point in the one national address that the president gives every year, which is usually a laundry list of things and includes defense and foreign policy in in the laundry list. No one's saying he's going to say that tonight what we're hearing in the in the in the leaks leading up to the speech is that he's going to challenge republicans to agree with him that insulin dosages should be capped at $35 a dose or you know uh, to fill in gaps on healthcare well, basically just goodies like he's going to a billionaires tax uh you know various classic democratic populist what, what they would consider populist things and then giveaways to the electorate challenging republicans basically daring republicans to say no to him so that he can then run against them for two years on things like the cost of insulin stuff like that um he has a climb there in the cost of insulin because that's of course about diabetes right so the The crisis in the United States on diabetes is type 2 diabetes, which is you know something that uh, people get as they age. Uh, if you look at the polling over the last week, all these these sort of polls about Biden standing and all of that, his numbers among uh, Americans over the age of 45 are horrendous. He's entirely being ballasted by Americans under the age of 45 who are apparently very hostile to Republicans and therefore sort of like him, but like, uh, I think 65 and over it's like, uh, 28% approved, 70% disapproved. That kind of thing. Like it's, it's pretty bad. Maybe this would help him with them, or maybe he's making a mistake because he's trying to, he's, he's chasing after people who are not gonna, we're not gonna rally to his side. But, uh, all in all, uh, you would think that maybe the pre-so-to uh, press releases would give an indication of where they're going to go on the balloon, since that is the number one story in the country
2: and has been for four days. And I think they don't know. Well, I, I just before we get to the political uh, dimension of this completely, I have to say I think. If he doesn't say something firm about china uh not bellicose uh importantly but if he doesn't say something firm about china in the state of the union dress it sends a terrible message to beijing it is it is a that is a very bad um tactical moment for us so i even beyond whatever it may mean for his uh, uh popularity here Biden does have a way of saying nothing, but trying
0: to make it sound like he's saying something firm. You know, he, he will use the phrase, let me be clear. That is always <laughs> the tell, like drink, you know, you want to drink, you want to have a, you I thought know, that was a, Obama's. Uh, no, Biden says, crutch. no. Well, then by then, if so, I don't remember that. I, I trust you that maybe my memory is faulty, but he but uh, Biden does it. And it is a tell because when he says, let me be clear, he says we will not do X, Y, and Z and it holds him to absolutely nothing. So, well, you know
2: what, you know what Obama used to do, which had a similar effect. He here's what I don't want to do. As yeah. He would outline that right. yeah. very firmly, which, which got you, which, which got him out of saying what he was going to do. <laughs> the
1: false <laughs> choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the false the choice, choice between is, two yeah. things that no one wants. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that we get the thing everybody wants. Yeah. So, um,
0: I mean, this is the only interesting thing about this speech now is is what he's going to say about China, like whether he says, you know, we should we should, as a as a matter of federal government policy, set set the cost of insulin. Well, there's another know. interesting dynamic. That's that's totally be pri- price dynamic. fixing at the government level for the first time since 1971. I mean, that we would actually there would actually be an explicit policy of the federal government to in, to to intervene in the private market and. Pick a certain price point for a certain product. That's uh, pretty
1: stunning. Anyway, go All ahead. Right, so there's two <clears throat> two politically interesting things that Biden has to navigate here in this speech. The first is that his best, like that that whole insulin thing, is it, his best ally is the GOP's identity crisis because they don't know what they want. They don't know what they are. They don't know what they believe. They don't know what they want to cut. They don't know what they want to spend. They don't know anything. They know they want to oppose Democrats, and that's the only unifying principle. So, yeah, and a a conventionally conservative party would say, well, price controls don't work. We know they don't work. And here's why they don't work. But they can't really say that. So Biden gets to rely on just this nebulous, uh, amorphous, uh, reflexive opposition from the Republican Party, but not on specifics because they can't they don't they don't really know what their base likes anymore. So they don't go for specifics. So price controls, maybe they're on the table. Um, and that actually applies to a whole lot of spending priorities. But his second big political headache is or conundrum, not even a headache, is that he's he's now got the string of victories behind him, right? We, we hear he's riding high, he beat the odds in 2022. He's got all this bipartisan legislation under his belt. He's made his legacy. He's got foreign conflicts that he's prosecuting to various degrees of competency, um various degrees some of them being actually pretty competent so it's not going to do that he just doesn't say he's he doesn't trip over his sentences or that he says ukrainian when he means ukrainian as opposed to iranian which is in the copy uh, he's actually got a he, he's going to be he's not going to be graded on a curve anymore by the public and this is a problem for republicans as well as democrats cuz democrats are making really convoluted arguments now against joe biden's second term michelle goldberg in the new york times today is a great illustration of that and the piece is very convoluted it's uh, is headlined illustrates the their conundrum here where it says the headline is biden's a great president he should not run again that argument doesn't doesn't make itself it's tough to say you know to flatter him to the degree that they feel like they have to now because they never liked him the progressive side doesn't like him doesn't want him to be president never did But now they have to just pay at least rhetorical homage or obeisance to the idea that he's the head of the party and he's a competent, capable head of the party. So Joe Biden really doesn't have to placate the side anymore, but he's surrounded by people who want to. They have an outsized, they have an impression of this, uh, the progressive left as being a force of outsized influence over their party, and they're going to try to appease them. But they don't have to. And they shouldn't. And I kind of don't know why they would. You have all well, these stories. Think, I'm sorry, just I'm, I'm monologuing. Yeah. But have no, but let st- me
0: let me let me answer your question sure, though, sure, because sure. you you asked the question. The answer is contained within the beginning of your of your of your description, which is that uh, nothing will push a Republican's buttons better than going as progressive as possible. They have a they they have they have a vested if you if the dynamic is you need the Republicans to go insane so you can say look the Republicans are insane. Take up whole tested positive, but unworkable or meaningless policies like the billionaires tax or the or you know or setting the price of insulin, and throw them well, not the price of insulin I'm sorry but let's say the billionaires tax or a couple of other things, throw them in there and then like just see what. What kind of chum in the water they are for the Republican sharks, because then you want to say, look, Republican sharks, you got to vote for us because they're, 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 you know, they, they're they going to eat everything in their path. That's, so that's, that's part of the
2: answer. That's, that's literally trolling.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> precisely. Yeah. It's the unifying principle on both parties now, I guess, is what you're saying is that being provocative or provoking the other side is its own virtue.
0: I mean, they believe in it, like they believe in a billionaire's tax, they believe in setting the price of all drugs, they want to set the price of drugs, they want a national, they would like to effectively nationalize the pharmaceuticals industry. So it's not like they're doing something that's counter to their own ideological priors or their their deepest desires. It's just that uh, in a more rational atmosphere, you would say, well, we're not, this is never going to happen. I mean... First of all, some of it's unconstitutional. Second of all, like we're we're gonna lose. The arguments against it are pretty like we, you know, this is we can hold this up as
1: something we might have in the future, but you know, this is not where we're going. It's in a so unimaginative. Sense. It's the political equivalent of Sam Smith's, you know, satanic striptease just to provoke people. Like that would a be Grammy's re- reference. That'd be really clever in nineteen eighty eight. But right. don't shock no more. Well, I don't know
0: if it's intended to shock. You know, it's like I, I just I, I think uh, Nick Catojo at the at the Dispatch, the former la pundit, has a pretty remarkable kind of, um, I wouldn't call it a rant because it's very measured, but description of the politics uh, today, last night, this morning, uh, around the balloon, makes some of the points that you make, Noah, about how you know the Republican Party does not know what it believes. Anymore because Trump uh, introduced uh, so much uh, ambiguity into the uh, into the sort of intellectual construct of conservative policies, uh, and you know, saying we don't want to, you know, balance, you know, we don't want to do any of these things. That is what it has meant to be a conservative in America forever. And then you have the sort of intellectual. Backstoppers of, among the NatCons and the SoCons and all that who have, have effectively embraced Trumpism and some version of socialism at the same time, thus muddying the intellectual waters terribly so that what you get then is the dynamic of, uh, I mean, he says one of the reasons that we've gone to, uh, you know, sort of like uh, pretty extreme Cold War rhetoric is that... Um, this is like a nostalgia play because that this reminds Republicans of the time when they all, when everybody agreed, everybody agreed on foreign policy. It was the, it was the, the (laughs) key of uh, the key among the key, the key on the right was, you know, we, we opposed the Soviets. Um, Of course it was not true by the way that everybody agreed on foreign policy since Richard Nixon was obviously a Republican and was the, uh, was the architect of detente. Uh, And so there was a huge fight within the, Republican or right coalition. Yeah, no, what they mean a, yeah. is the Reagan era. Right. They mean the Reagan. Fair enough. So there was a kind of unity. And the unity in the Reagan era was 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 a victory. That is to say, yes, it was all too, I mean, policies for a lot of us think were great on the economy and on foreign policy and all of that. Um, but the proof of the pudding was that Reagan not only won two landslide victories. And he won a second landslide victory after his policies began to take root, so that the public essentially voted for them. But that he also brought in a Republican Senate. Um, the, the 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 Republicans started to make measurable gains in the House that ultimately led to their takeover of the House in 1994. Um, and Democrats were sort of on the on their on their back foot. So one of the reasons that the the party embraced this new form of Republicanism uh, was that uh, there was no reason not to. It was like a, it was like a box office success, you know? So what are you going to make for the sequel? Now it's 40 years later. And we're in this position where, as I say, Trump has, has addled the Trump example has addled everybody's uh, ability
1: to come together. But it's so interesting where you say, where do, they, where do they go when it comes to foreign policy? Their instinct is to snap back to anti-communism abroad, which is confrontational, which is extroverted, which is not Trump's foreign policy, a populist but, foreign policy. And but, the same thing could be no. said for domestic spending. They They snapped right back to a posture of fiscal conservatism. Now, they don't even know what that means anymore.
0: But that's your problem. So you're saying that they are embracing anti-communism. And yet I look at the polling, I look at some of the discussion points and all of that and republicans are vastly more um ambiguous about
1: uh, ukraine than democrats and independents yeah uh, the polling is more ambiguous on domestic spending too because the republican base has become much more friendly to uh you know a national industrial policy right but, but, there, the, but and, the representatives and, in congress don't know how to articulate that and so they're snapping back to a comfort zone which is you know, right. reflexive fiscal conservatism, on a thirty thousand foot philosophical level, but,
2: but they're they're,
0: sna- they're snapping they right. But they're snapping back only because of the dynamic, only because Biden's president. Like, why? Why do they oppose Ukraine? Why do they but, oppose these efforts in Ukraine? Because Biden's for them. Like, they don't. But, they don't know why they should be against them. Are they really against them because they think that Zelensky is corrupt and that this is uh, day it's dangerous to poke? Uh, Putin or Putin's a good guy. I don't believe any of that. I just Wait, think basically Biden and the Democrats are for it. So now a bunch of them are against it.
2: But the House GOP
0: is for it. I mean, the, the, the... Well, it's for it at the moment, but we don't right. know how long if the polling remains that half of Republicans are against uh, or, you know, think that we're doing right. too much the polling question now is like 50-50. Are we doing too much or too little to help Ukraine? Which is a, a pretty weird question if you don't add the we're doing just right. <laughs> right. If you're gonna do the Goldilocks thing, you should be giving people the middle choice, you know, the 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 mm-hmm. choice in the middle. Cause my guess is that you would probably get a lot of people saying, Yeah, I think what the way we're doing it right now is fine. But if you say are we not doing enough are we doing too much? If those are the two choices, then I
1: you know you're 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 skewing the answer. Uh, even though I think I think a lot every- of those people with yeah. the loudest voices on the right who are saying, you know we got to peer back this you know the slush fund, blank check, whatever they say um they do so with the understanding that they're arguing in favor of a more confrontational approach to China. And there's a zero-sum game here and we're sacrificing our position in the in the Indo-Pacific. For this conflict that we're not really a part of and don't have any interest in, is, well, that's is that, a
0: very that's a very argument. important right. So, so Elbridge Colby is probably the the intellectual uh, expostulator of the most articulate intellectual expostulator of this view that we are taking our eye off the ball. Uh, Ukraine is a distraction from our uh, foreign policy needs of the next twenty five years, which are to prevent China's. Expansionism and to hold it in place because it it is coming right after us and I I, I can only I only wonder because of his uh, proximity intellectual proximity to people who are like actual isolationists uh, and his celebration by people who are actual isolationists whether this argument would start seeming uh, would start being qualified all over the place. If what they wanted, they say they wanted, would happen, which is that we we basically pulled out or pulled away from Ukraine or forced a negotiated settlement because we really needed to focus on China. And then what we needed to do was build up our defense reserves and do this and do that and start doing war games with Taiwan and whatever you want to call it. Would those people who are celebrating Elbridge Colby's assertion that we need to focus almost exclusively on, on the Indo-Pacific would... Would they say, "Yeah, this is all great"? Particularly if it was a
2: Democratic administration who did the pivot. Absolutely not. The, okay. the, especially in foreign policy, I never believe the people who say we've taken our eye off the ball here um, to, and focus on the wrong thing there. They they did this all throughout the Bush year. They said, "You know, this is we we've we've taken our eye off uh, uh, Iran to focus on this uh, uh, on 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 Iraq that has nothing to do with us." And I always thought. Had Bush adopted a, a bold, forward-leaning, aggressive, pol- more aggressive policy toward Iran, they would have been saying the, the exact same thing about that. They would, right. they would, they would, they would have been saying, you know, yeah. we, wh- why are we starting trouble with Iran? Yeah. Uh, we've got this crazy dictator over next door who's, who's, you know, we, we've allowed, we've, we've let him run free. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's I mean, playing footsie with Al Qaeda. It's not a hypothetical. It's not a
1: hypothetical? Nancy Pelosi went. To Damascus, yeah. while while the Assad regime was executing operations that were killing Americans, yeah, yeah, and, the, 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 and
0: remember, remember, John Kerry saying uh, in 2004, Osama been forgotten. We took our eye off the ball in Afghanistan. That was the good war, also, right? That was the good war until, of course, it stopped being the good war because Obama and and uh, and and Biden wanted to pull out of Afghanistan. Like, yeah. So every time that it's happens, it's a disingenuous, criticism. right?
2: Yeah, because, I, I mean, look, and this is the what they don't want to face. A superpower cannot make those either or decisions. Yeah. We have to do multiple things that, that, right. that are equally or somewhat equally pressing.
1: Right. They say, uh, why? And then you say, well, because you're the hyperpower, you're drawn into these conflicts by virtue of the fact that you have assets everywhere in every state in the planet depends on on your you know, guaranteeing their defense. And they say, well, what's the evidence for that? Look around. Over the last 25 years, look around. What conflict have we avoided being entangled in? Save where we have zero geopolitical interests like sub-Saharan Africa. I
0: mean, look, you know, if you wanted to game this out, uh, and this is where, you know, I think it, it's fair to say, I think we all think. That um, if there is credit that is due to Biden uh, in his administration, it is that, you know, all things being equal, given all the givens that he has, he has at least done the minimum of what was necessary to do in Ukraine, Uh, more than the minimum, but not, I think, really, given the geopolitical significance of this, not, not nearly enough, but maybe he has done as much as he could do without sparking a an internal revolt in in the United States. It's, 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 it's hard to know, but even here, if you game out what it would have been, had he not done it war on European soil that with the United States, not taking the lead NATO countries that, uh, that do not have the emotional wherewithal to take the lead in fighting this kind of conflict. Uh, and some kind of haphazard effort to help Ukraine that founders and eventually Russia wins the war. And then NATO is threatened. I mean, this was sort of a point that Noah made, we made last week when, when Fred Kagan was on or whenever Fred Kagan was on, maybe it was the week before last, that you, the ancillary benefits of prevailing in Ukraine um, are so large in terms of what they will mean that will relieve pressure in the future on worse pressure points, like the borders of NATO, like, like Taiwan, that not to do this would have been an insane dereliction of we will be in 10 times worse shape. We would have been in 10 times. Had we not done what we did. I wrote
1: about this in a piece last week at some point, about the quasi isolationist wing it's not the right term for it but they're isolationists with regard to this particular conflict um the idea they they have to erase the nato alliance from their calculation because to introduce it to their calculation just scuttles the whole thought process on their part the idea here that that biden is also balancing the concerns of the various members of this sprawling alliance to keep it together and to keep people from freelancing like, you know, Western Europe may be a little bit more cautious, but Eastern Europe isn't. And the idea that they would freelance into this conflict in the, in the effort to to safeguard their own sovereignty introduces infinitely more potential for a miscalculation for a conflagration because there's a lot more moving parts. You could say the same thing about the Pacific conflict, because we have to keep alliances in order there too. What are Japan's interests in the Strait? What are South Korea's interests? The Philippines, the Vietnam, allies, partners. Yeah, All these guys freelance on their own. They have their own sovereign interests. They will defend their own interests with us or without us and not necessarily in our own interests, perhaps. Um, yeah. Well, let's put it alliance, this way. Alliance right. structure is, is complicated and they don't yeah. deal with it.
0: Yeah, but not even, I mean, look at it this way, that one of the things that we have gained back even now with Ukraine not resolved is during during the Trump years if we had a you know come to jesus conversation behind closed doors about what it would mean if Putin attacked one of the baltics latvia lithuania what would happen what would it mean would article 5 which which uh, which uh requires that all nato countries treat An attack on one country is an attack on all. Would Article 5 be invoked? Obviously, it would be invoked. Would the United States, under Donald Trump, would we commit forces to uh, turn Putin's advance back? And nobody could answer that question. There was no way of knowing. uh, Trump didn't like NATO. He was very insulting toward NATO. He didn't like our NATO allies. He said they were living off the dole, all of that stuff. And we just didn't know. There was no way of knowing. And now I think it's fair to say Putin is under no illusions that if he were to attack any NATO ally, the the, the response would be overwhelming. So the threat, the larger threat in Europe has been contained already. That is a victory from Ukraine, right? That And so, and Biden... This is the interesting part about getting back to the State of the Union. Biden can't take a victory lap on Ukraine because Ukraine is not won yet. And there's a lot of horrible stuff that is yet to come. Although I note after all of the talk over the last two weeks and the Russians amassing and all of this, the Ukrainians are still holding Bakhmut. Like, Bakhmut has not fallen. And we're back in moments like that to wondering about Russia's minimal competence in in its not only its its aims are not a matter of competence but its execution of a plan they're the ones who decided to make a stand at bakhmut to try to to try to use that as a kind of symbol that they were not going to stop and they were going to they were going to like destroy everything in ukraine they possibly could and ukraine better give up and they're not getting there and so you can't take a victory lap but but he could say The Western alliance is stronger than it's ever been. And the Chinese are on notice. I mean, this gets to to this whole point. The Chinese are on notice that you mess with us at your peril. And they're now on notice because we shot down the balloon. (laughs) And they're on notice because when we say you leave Taiwan alone, we mean it. And we've just shown in Europe that when we say we mean it, we're willing to put some iron into our spines about that. And I think, don't think he's, he th- I mean, he should say it because I think it say actually it and, sounds good, but I don't
2: know, maybe it sounds good to us, but, but they think it wouldn't sound good to their people. No, but that's just, but what, what I was thinking as you were saying all this, John, is that politically, I think it does sound good. And I think Biden would be much better served politically, domestically, instead of, just trying to troll republicans by making strong arguments in service of good ideas and and accomplishments and goals
1: appealing to i mean what the kids call normies yeah right people who are right. not very online who are not highly ideological who kind of like peace who aren't you know all that head up about the nato alliance who think you know global free trade free trade and the freedom of the the maritime navigation that the United States guarantees are good things, yeah, (laughs) make that argument. It'll get a lot of weirdos on Twitter freaking out, but there's a much bigger constituency for that in the middle of the bell curve.
0: Can I go back in time for a second and give you an example of why when I say, I think they should say this, but they may not, because it sounds good to me, but they think it may not sound good to their people. Go back to September... 2012 and um and the attack on on Americans in Libya um at the time Obama and Romney are locked in a pretty close election struggle in which the outcome was far from clear and um the minute that that happened, uh, the Benghazi attack happened. I thought to myself, well, the obvious thing for him to do is to stand up and say, this will not stand. We will hunt down everybody who did this to our, you know, to our ambassador and to the four uh, contractors. We'll hunt them down and we will we will, you know, the war on terror. Uh, we this is this is who we are. This is what it is. It seemed like a total gimme to me. And then if you remember they were very weird about it. They were like, well, we don't know what happened. We don't know. Maybe it might might not be terrorism, blah, blah, blah. Romney came out and said, Romney spent 24 hours saying, I'm not going to say anything because this is a foreign policy crisis and I'm not going to second guess the sitting president of the United States before he even said, wait a minute, what's going on? Okay. Let's rewind the tape and say that say that Obama said what I said he should say. I'm not even saying that they did it, they would do anything to retaliate on Benghazi, but he would have said, this is it, you're going down, this is America, you don't attack our people. The history of the last 10 years would be very different. Among other things, the Hillary-Benghazi file would not have the Benghazi, the failure to respond to the attack in Benghazi wouldn't have led to hearings on Hillary Clinton and what happened at the State Department in relation to Benghazi that wouldn't have led to subpoenas of her of her text messages, you know, her emails that would have led to Hillary's emails that would have led to Hillary Clinton losing the presidency. I mean, I'm not saying you could game out that that was where it was going, but a simple, but something kept Obama and his people from saying what it seemed to me was a was a total, like you know, fastball kept... across the plate that you could hit for a grand
2: slam. I okay, I, I know what kept yeah. them from saying it. <clears throat> that would completely have messed with Obama's narrative, which was the age of fighting terrorists and terrorism was is, is over. That was all this unnecessary stuff that happened under George W. Bush. Uh, we are we are not about that. We are calm and sober. And we're not going to we're not going to get worked up over over this, but it's probably some film, some filmmaker right. uh, uh, made some uh, uh, inflammatory movie that right. got people upset. And that's all this was.
1: Okay, he didn't fine.
2: want he didn't want in any way to to be on a continuum with with what had preceded him.
0: I don't know. You know, I know that that's and that, that you're right. So they had come up with this through line for 2012 that they had won the war on terror. On the other hand, he had also killed. The, he had also killed Osama bin Laden. Now, maybe you could say, okay, that was the end of the war on terror because we killed Osama bin Laden. But challenges come up for the United States all the time. You're in a you're locked in a close election campaign. Um, they thought that going rah rah patriotic on you're not attacking our ambassador and getting away with it, you Libya. You know, don't worry. You know. Uh, we will return a hundredfold what you have done to us, that um, they were wrong not to do, I'm not, I don't mean morally wrong. I mean, politically wrong. My interpretation here is the correct interpretation. That's, that's the case I'm making here that had they not been so weird about Benghazi, Benghazi wouldn't have been an issue for the next three years, when you have the clarity that we're talking about here, when we're talking about clarity in relation to the State of the Union or what's going on with China or all of that, clarity has the advantage of not creating wild, unanticipated consequences. I mean, there are always unanticipated consequences or unintended consequences from things, but not when you say, okay – now people could say why did why why haven't you killed the people who attacked our people in benghazi or something like you could say that right but remember the year before we had we had been at war in libya i mean the whole thing is bizarre and i'm just saying like this is just a case to be made that um when you like do when you can cl- clear your head uh of your own um uh Political priors and just look at things straight on and say, okay, this is what, this is how we should respond to X, Y, or Z. It's better than saying, well, how are we going to harmonize this with our campaign strategy? Or how are we going to harmonize with this with the latest poll? Or our, you know, or our, you know, desires to set the table for the re-election campaign. Like you could see a moment at which Biden throws out the draft of the State of the Union and makes the entire speech about China and what we're going to do about China and how we're going to handle this kind of uh, – we're, we're now in a new kind of conflict uh, in the 24th. Now, Biden said this, by the way. He said this throughout 2019 and 2020. We're in a new atmosphere. We have a new adversary. He didn't call it an adversary, but our relations with China will defend, will define the next 75 years. How we deal with China, how what what the interests and opportunities and dangers posed by China will define the next seventy five years. He could make the whole speech about that to stay of you. You don't have to do you can do whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Um, and I think you reset the table. Like the table's not that great for him right now. He's at forty three percent approval. You know uh, everything he's done, all of his wonderful accomplishments may have staved off a meltdown among democrats right where he would be in the third you know if they had lost if they had performed terribly in 2022 if they had lost uh, terribly in the midterms if the all of that like that added with the documents and everything like that his numbers could have cratered beyond belief so they didn't crater but like he is losing to trump head to head in polls in 2024 that's not could
1: can we talk briefly about donald trump because we haven't talked about him in
0: a yeah but you know before happened. we do that let me let sure. me talk to you about let me talk to everybody about Bolin. uh excuse me not about Bolin branch forget Bolin branch <laughs> sorry <laughs> express <laughs> vpn okay so look we talked about express vpn and how it secures your it secures your browsing but um express vpn has a has a has another incredible feature uh it has um there are servers in 94 different countries and when you join expressvpn you have it on your computer you can pick the country that your uh newly assigned ip uh is read by netflix and you can therefore watch things say india or england or something like that that are not licensed to watch on netflix in the united states um They have thousands of shows, but you only get a fraction of that based on your location. And ExpressVPN makes it all available to you with a single click. You can control where you want Netflix or other streaming websites to think you're located. Okay? So you get blazing fast speeds. It's compatible with all your devices, phones, laptops, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. And it works with other streaming services, not just Netflix, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com commentary. Don't forget to use this link, expressvpn.com commentary, to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN. For free. Noah, you wanted to talk about Donald Trump,
1: please. Uh, Yeah, that's all I (laughs) all I long for when I get up in the morning. (laughs) So yeah, uh, we haven't talked much about the Republican Party, save to describe their identity crisis and the assistance that it gives to Democrats. And Donald Trump is obviously the architect of that identity crisis, and he apparently seems to believe that that's his his lane. Um, Because we're starting to, he's starting, people around him are starting to talk about his lane, which is interesting insofar as they understand that it is a challenge to get this nomination. They're going to have to play it smart. Um, But his strategy is to be as, as unconservative, for lack of a better word, as you can get in this primary. He's going to be the peace candidate when everyone else is a war candidate. He's going to attack his uh, competitors, DeSantis, Pence, Pompeo, Haley, et al., for having at one point over the years talked about the idea that everybody should have some tax burden and contribute to our overall uh, national largesse, particularly in the form of a fair tax plan, which includes a national sales tax, a VAT tax, in order to uh, um, reduce the the pressure on the progressive tax code, the progressive income tax code, all that sort of thing. Now, whether that's politically smart or not, we'll get to in a second. But it also sort of presupposes that Donald Trump didn't serve as president for four years. He can run on a McGovernite platform all he wants, but he didn't govern as a McGovernite. He can run on being a progressive uh, populist tax and spender if he wants, but he governed as a supply sider. He, ref- he, he signed a tax reform bill that was championed by Paul Ryan. And this is this guy is not A progressive populist in in record in rhetoric yeah but his record doesn't support that so it's a big gamble and it certainly will pay off among the 30 40 percent who uh, are beholden to his movement and who take their cues from the most populist voices on fox news primetime like tucker carlson but it conflicts with what the republican party in congress is actually doing and what they feel like they want to do, as I said, they've their reflex, their instinct seems to be to snap back to a Reaganite consensus. Obviously, he's the bigger the bigger force to be reckoned with than this like sort of nebulous instinct to go back to a comfort zone among Republican politicians that they're not even really all that invested in. So does Donald Trump win that argument? Obviously, it plays out on the Republican primary stage. But it probably plays out a lot before. We ever get anywhere near the debate stage or to the first votes cast in early 2024?
2: I've got to say, I don't, I don't think it's that big a gamble because I think the the things that are going to alienate uh, Republicans outside of that 30 percent or or you know who who will you know go along with him uh, regardless are much larger than it's 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 not it's not his economics that that are gonna that are gonna turn them off. They, they'll, they'll they'll be. They they have a lower bar for being turned off. They're they they will he, it, it's it's who he is and it's his nature and it's the madness and it's the and it's the hoax claims and and all that.
0: I you know I I think this is a very interesting um question that gets to what it is that people outside of the you know Trump can shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and they'll be fine with it base. Wants or thinks of him, or why they like why they like him, or they continue to like him if they continue to like him, because they can like him and also think that he shouldn't be president again. Like he did a great thing, but he's getting too old, or he, he's too confrontational. You know, they're they're sick of having to defend him at at at, at the at Thanksgiving and stuff like that. Um, but uh, the question is how he wants to present himself to them. And um, is he going to say I was a great president? Things were great, and then COVID came along and screwed everything up. And then, as president, I rushed this vaccine into existence, and you know, changed the future and saved millions of lives. He's going to take credit for that or apologize? No. This is what I'm. Uh, this is what I'm laying out to you as a as as the interesting thing that he faces. For him to take credit for his time as president, he would have to embrace some of the very things you just said, Noah. His tax, you know, this tax bill, which did such wonders uh, for the economy, according to him, lowered lowered unemployment, all of that stuff. Uh, you know, the first, strike on serious... chemical sites in Syria, the strike on Soleimani in, in Iraq. Okay, well, that now you're going to foreign policy. I hadn't even gotten there. All of it, right? Okay but he's would have to write so he would have to say this is what I was I was a great president elect me again and I'll be a great president again but his impulse appears to be to run against his own presidency
2: in some fundamental sense and amazingly not know. on the vaccine uh it was only like 2 weeks ago where he made this claim that he's he's saved some extraordinary number of lives right right um by 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 through operation uh warp speed
0: right and there you have the interesting thing that his base the 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 shoot him on fifth avenue people maybe i'm wrong about this but my sense is that that base has completely deserted him on that like they think that the vaccine
1: is a scandal and that the people are getting killed or whatever i don't know mandates i don't well, here's a counterpoint he, 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 to he, that uh, okay just Jonathan Swan at Axios reported this a couple of days ago January 31st a Trump ally involved in the effort who insisted on anonymity to discuss their plans said footage included Mr. DeSantis taking delivery of some first vaccines in America and news b-roll of DeSantis presiding over the vaccination of elderly people this is presented as a negative that they're going to leverage against Ron DeSantis in the primary
0: right so I'm so you're saying he's yeah so he's going to so he's got an impulse in his camp to run against va- the vaccine uh, you know, uh, triumph and uh, and you're saying he's going to run as this kind of economic nationalist socialisty, whatever. and that means his supply side doctrine was wrong. And that's really weird. So he's essentially running, he, he's there running against himself as a swamp creature of Washington. I went to Washington. I became a swamp creature. Let me go back to Washington and undo all the damage that I did as a swamp creature. I, that's, I mean, I know he's not going to say it that way, and that all of this is an effort to kind of find a uh, logical through line to define his candidacy. And, of course, he resists all through lines and any kind of coherence. But nonetheless, what's he going to say? You know, I mean, that he's going to have to say things about the past, the present, and the future that aren't just – they stole the election from me in Maricopa County. And I, I think that he is, you know, some of these contradictions, you're talking about this sort of like theory. Okay. It's Trump versus DeSantis versus Yunkin versus Pompeo versus Haley. But it's also like, they're each going to say something about where America should be and what they're going to do to make America better. And Trump is giving these indications that he's going to say, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to do a lot of things that are the opposite of what I did before. The logical inference from that is you shouldn't trust him to be president again because you can't trust him to do the good things because
2: he he, he, by his own admission, did bad things. But it won't be by his own admission. He'll say, I never did that. He'll say, it's totally false. That's not what happened. Right.
1: Or it was misled. By a lot of, you know, nefarious forces, the old Mm -hmm. ancien regime, the Republican old guard. How can he
0: be misled? How, you know, then that would mean that he was wrong. If he was misled, he was wrong or he was weak. He was weak. He was, he was, he was, he was was rolled, Uh, you know, he's a sucker, patsy, patsy for the deep state and for the, and for the, for the, for the Washington swamp. Washington Swamp submerged him. and That's why he lost the but, election. Although but, you he only know, lost the because it was
2: stolen. this isn't going to be a problem for him because at least not among well, we know nothing's a problem among that, among that core of of supporters, but we know it because look, what has become, John, as you say, the 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 Trump base is so worked up over, and you know, with with some I think justification, everything that went on during the pandemic. Fauci, vaccines, lockdowns, right? Um, when all that first went into effect, Donald Trump was the most powerful man in the country, the most powerful man in the world. He yeah. presided over all of that. Yeah. Uh, mandates questions yeah. came later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he is on record praising Fauci uh, to the Hill before he started calling him yeah. an idiot. Yeah, uh, He He oversaw the production and the first implementation of the vaccines. That was before uh, 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 Biden. Um, th- th- none of this has turned on him. Okay. Here's an important point that just
0: popped into my head here. Trump runs in 2016. They're on those ridiculous debate stages, right? I mean, they were with 10, 11 people on the debate stage. And, they all, and we all had this thing about how they weren't going after Trump. But it wasn't that easy to go after Trump because Trump didn't have a political record. You know, you could say, well, you did this, your stakes were bad and you, you know, what about your business dealings and your hands are, your fingers are too small. Whatever it was that was said, all that was an effort to say something about him as a public figure because he wasn't a public figure, really. I mean, he was a celebrity but he and he mistreated women he did all that stuff, but he wasn't. Now he's going to open his mouth and anybody who is on the debate stage with him will say, well, you did this. How can you say that? You hired Fauci. He's never, he didn't have that in 2016. He did not have to defend himself. And the idea here, which I think is really kind of um, interesting the way you raise it, Abe, is that he's going to start discrediting parts of his own record or saying that he didn't do that. And then there are going to be people who are going to be saying, yes, you did. Let me quote what you said. And he, that dynamic then leads him to say, well, you're ugly. You know, or or I'm, you know, it's like when Caitlin Collins asked him a question he didn't like, and he's like, I'm the president of the United States, how dare you? It's like, I'm sorry, you're in a debate. You're saying this. You're lying. Because I have the quote right here. Okay, Republican electorate. Wh- who is this guy you, you say you like? I'm Ron DeSantis. You know what? I said I don't like. Uh, I don't like the lockdown regime. So I ended it. He said he didn't like the lockdown regime and he didn't end it. So like, I to him. I mean, that's, it's an interesting thing. He didn't face this before. And I mean, face it a little with Biden, I guess in the debate with Biden, but Biden wasn't talking about it from the, from this vantage point exclusively to Republican primary voters who have their own, so I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, if you assume that politics isn't static and that everything isn't already set in stone and it's Trump versus DeSantis and it's going to be 45-45, and there's going to be blah, 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 and then, you know, he's going to say something nasty about DeSantis' wife and then, you know, blah, all that stuff. There's a dynamic with him that just didn't exist before. So... Um, But I think it is interesting that he is setting himself up to run a campaign in which he will have to, if he wants to go with the populism of 2024, discredit much of what he did as president. Or what we take to be the populism of 2024.
1: Only the stuff Um, that was conventionally Republican. Yeah, he said it because he has set his objective as being remake the Republican Party from the ground up, which is a big haul. And it didn't work last time around. The path of least resistance would be to at least, as you say, embrace his own record, perhaps, but definitely not to impugn the people who are responsible for it, which he feels compelled to do. Well. Uh, interesting on the on the on, on the eve
0: of uh, on the eve of biden's uh, no doubt excruciatingly boring and endless state of the union that we are talking about uh, somebody else's policy preferences because we know that whatever he's going to do he's probably going to disappoint anyway with that we will uh, bring this to a close uh for uh noah abe and the absent christine i'm john putt keep the candle burning